All right, let's talk about demon possession. I learned something I think brand new. <laughs> I really am excited about this. <clears throat> you got a what? Some oil? You need to, we need to anoint some people first. Is it? All right, who says oil? Who says oil? Get out. Just get out. There's a lot of great churches in the area. No. <laughs> you know, I say oil sometimes, and I say oil. I go back and forth, you know, because I'm a both-and kind of guy. Did anybody need a handout that didn't get a handout? We got... There's one. Yay! Thank you so much. Yeah, there's two of them. I don't know what... I'm trying to figure out which one's more powerful. Thank you. <clears throat> All right. Hey, there it is. Words. <laughs> All right, so listen. So you know, um, maybe, Becky, will you poke your head out there in the great room and make sure that I'm not too loud? If I am, I don't know if I'll turn it down. I just want to ask. Be courteous, right? Um, I, I think kind of our study tonight, for me, answers some questions. That if you ever met someone that you just can't figure out why they keep going back to the foolish things, we're okay? A little bit down? Okay. Great. The foolish things in their life, and it just doesn't make sense, Right? And, and, and it baffles the mind because when we take a step back and say, but they know better with me. And I'm not talking about addiction, really. I'm just talking about in general. Addiction is a whole other animal altogether, right? There's something physiologically going on and spiritually probably too that brings them back to that thing. And I hate to use the scripture, but this is the scripture that just jumps out at me every time I think about someone going back to sin again and again and what's that one as a dog returns to its oh that is disgusting natalie but it, it but it just it just oh it's just this picture of like really crazy so tonight we're going to first start with a reminder that in the original languages of scripture we find different ways is there two p's there yeah why not yeah there's two p's in our modern understanding we have possession and oppression you guys have heard oppressing <laughs> he oppressing <laughs> possession possession and oppression but the words that are in the King James, New King James, um, New American Standard, many of our modern translations, it uses demon possession, was possessed by a demon. Uh, oppression is a new thing that we've come up with because we don't like the word possession because it speaks of ownership. Are you with me? We don't, we don't like to consider the fact that someone can be owned by the devil or a demon, which I agree. I don't like that idea either. But let me... Let me help you with this concept 
demonization is actually what both of these words mean. Demonized, for demonization. In other words, somehow, some way, influenced by the devil or a demon. Now, at the end of the day, the level of demonization can move from just strictly being tempted or literally being controlled. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. The difference between those two things. What we would consider demon possession, where the devil actually controls, the demon controls the person, as opposed to just being um, tempted by, bothered by, oppressed by, those types of things. So we got that part. I'm not going to even ask you if you agree, because I'm just, I'm going for it. But do, do a self-study. What did Paul tell the Bereans? Go check this for yourself. Do a self-study and understand that the original languages, to my understanding, don't carry those meanings, possession and oppression. It's always a demonized. A person is demonized or demonization of that person. So we're starting there and going from there to the difference of demonization pre and post the cross. All right, so we have the cross, we have demonization pre and demonization post. The reason why this is huge is because there's a distinction where we have, we have God, Jesus, remember Jesus, and we have God the Father, Jesus the Son, made manifest, put on flesh, pre-cross, what do we have post-cross? Right, we have the Holy Spirit post-cross, which is the difference. The way God operated pre-cross, even in Jesus' day, and the way God, the Holy Spirit, operated post-cross are very different. Which is also, which also means that the way the devil is allowed to operate, you with me? Remember, the devil still has to function within the allowance and permission of what the Lord brings in his sovereignty. You with me? So, the difference the way God operated also reflects the difference with the way the demonic operated now. Let's get into some scripture. Any questions so far? We can talk. Great. Do what? Is that same God, of course, operating in a different way? So let's go to the Old Testament before the cross. Judges. You have your little sheet there. Judges chapter 6. Verse 34 says, from then on, Gideon, I'm sorry, is that what it says on you, from, from then on, Gideon, the Spirit of the Lord, yes, verse 34, I was reading verse 32, just a second. 
There it is. No. Verse <laughs> yeah. 34. From then on, the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. What did that cause him to do? He blew the ram's horn call, as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abazar came to him. He sent messengers, and basically Gideon went into fight mode into what God had called him to do. The Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. Before the cross, there was a temporary infilling. The Holy Spirit was given for an assignment, which means the Holy Spirit also was withdrawn. People that live in the church age, us, how many of you guys, oh my goodness, how many of you guys can remember what it was like before you met Jesus? Can you remember the feeling, the hole, right? The gap, the loneliness, the something else has got to be there. Can I? Certainly, I would never question who God is or how he operates, but can I just say I'm thankful to live on this side of the cross? because there's an indwelling of the presence of God that I don't ever want to feel that way. Now, even as believers, we find ourselves in moments of loneliness or wilderness or those kinds of things. But if you're a Christian who was saved in a time, and uh, for those of us that grew up around church, it's hard for us to reach back and grasp maybe that feeling. But those of you that raised your hands, you know what it's like to live before the Lord. And now... You're walking with him, and it's hard to imagine life without him. The Old Testament saint, if I could be so bold to say this, Gideon, and others we're going to look at, possessed, filled, anointed by the Holy Ghost, by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of the Lord, assignment's over, Spirit's lifted. I'm telling you. That's a hard thing for me to grasp. Go. Yep. Of course it was for an assignment. John the Baptist was the messenger to declare the way. Yeah, in the womb, which is where I teach. On that one, it gives me a context to say the Holy Spirit can touch anyone at any age. So... I believe in that context, if I could just, I think the teaching is that the Holy Spirit is not a respecter of age or maturity. John the Baptist, I believe, filled with the Holy Ghost. He leapt. Probably started speaking in tongues right then. No, I don't know. I just won't go there. <laughs> I'm an AG guy. No, but I actually believe that was eliminating the line of it's only limited to Jewish people thought you could only experience the presence of God when you're 13, 12, 13 years old, that ceremony that they would do. But yeah, the assignment, I think, was John the Baptist from the womb, from birth, like Jesus, walked in an assignment, right? And Elizabeth's assignment was, in her age, to give birth, <laughs> right? So, but that's good. That's a good, that's a good one to recognize there, because it was pre-cross. Gideon, Samson... In Judges chapter 14, 
Uh, let, me, let, let me stay there for just a minute. No. No, I'm going to go on. But now I want to dig into the John the Baptist, and I'm going to have to in another time, because his assignment was over when Jesus came, and he said, follow him. It's not about me anymore. Follow him. And the next time we see John the Baptist, his head is lifted off his body. Right? Could it be, pre-cross, that his assignment was over, the spirit and the anointing was also, right? Because when John baptized Jesus, what happened? The Holy Spirit came upon him on power, then he went into the wilderness. So, hmm, interesting. We can live on that for a little bit. But I got to get into the Old Testament and look at Samson, who's another example. Judges 14, 6. I'm trying to pace myself, but I'm also, I want to get to the end. It's one of the most embarrassing things for a preacher is to get to the end and then look at you and say, well, I guess we're out early. So let's look at, no, <laughs> no, you know this is not my problem, so here we go. Let's dive in here. Let's go. 14.6, we see Samson who receives this anointing. It says, uh, verse 6 at that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The assignment followed, and he ripped the lion's jaw apart with his bare hands. He did this as easily as a young goat, but he didn't tell his father or mother about it. Now, here's, here's what's crazy to me. When we, we, in the church age, we kind of box in this Holy Spirit anointing type of thing to be an anointing to preach, to teach, to do something. He ripped a lion's head apart. And then he did something bad. He withheld it from his father. Which was bad in those days with the culture of honor that must be in their lives. It's interesting to me, and I would ask also, why? Why did God anoint Samson to rip a lion's head apart? What good did that do? Well, certainly not for the lion, but what else? Confidence and faith for Samson. What was the other thing that it probably did? Supernatural strength. It built the legend. It built the legend. Hey, that guy, that guy ripped a lion's head apart. No. Yeah. Yeah, he did it. And he did it through the anointing of the Spirit of the Lord. Verse 19, we see this again. Chapter 14, verse 19. We see the Spirit of the Lord coming on Samson. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to the town of Ashkelon and killed 30 men. Stop. What? I'm trying to put it in context for me, and I can't because it's not fair to the modern day thinking but so wait a minute he was anointed to kill 30 men you're saying he was filled with the holy ghost and the first thing he did is killed 30 people for us that's that's a no-no right but he killed men from ashkelon philistines evil men i don't know who they were but i think we can be confident to know that god did God ordained it, and it also added to the legend of 
Samson. I'll put it to you this way. Later, Samson was, of course, captured. He was hated by the Philistines. He was put in this place. Do you think if he didn't kill Philistines, they would be as angry as they were? You see, the anger that they had set him up to bring God's judgment on a whole nation. Had he not had this anointing to do these things that seem odd to us, and we're, I'm getting sidetracked here, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Here's what I want you to see. Came upon him, did the lion thing. If we read this like a narrative, which in some places it can be that way, like a timeline, he did the lion thing, he lived his life, and a little while later, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him powerfully again. What does that mean happened in the middle? The Spirit of the Lord was lifted. The assignment was over. The Spirit of the Lord was lifted. And therefore, it had to come powerfully upon him again. 15, chapter 15, verse 4. The Spirit of the Lord is lifted. And then again, the Spirit of the Lord has to come upon him again as he's carrying out judgment on the Philistines. Now, in Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 11, let's look at Saul. I have, I have something really interesting later. Let's see. Yes, yeah, Saul's almost uh, towards the end there. But let's talk about Saul. You know, Saul's an interesting character in Scripture because he was so good, so fast, and then so bad so fast fall from grace is probably the best thing that describes Saul as he's the king of Israel celebrated and yet how quickly the Lord left him 1 Samuel chapter 11 verse 6 it says spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul catch this and he became very angry who else became very angry at one point in scripture Jesus the spirit of the Lord came upon Saul and he became very angry and then this text talks about how he's frustrated with what the people are doing and he had kind of had needs to bring a reset so they get back on board with fighting the battle fighting for the Lord first Samuel chapter 16 verse 14 16 verse 14 we see the spirit of the lord had left saul and the lord sent a tormenting spirit other translations say evil spirit that filled him with depression and fear come on this one bothers me does this one bother you why would God do that? Why? First of all, not only would, why would God do that, but what's happening in the spirit realm where God is sending bad spirits? Are bad spirits in heaven? In the ranks of the angels? <laughs> we forget sometimes that demons still will do what God tells them to do. <laughs> you know, everything answers to the Lord Jesus 
go into the pigs? Yes, sir. Which ones? Right? When I read this passage of scripture, I think my first thought is poor Saul. Because then I think, what did Saul do wrong? He, he made a sacrifice before the priest got there because he got tired of waiting? And then I have to take a step back and say, I'm not God. And then I have to look at the narrative as a whole. And then I say, Saul lost his mind before he lost his mind. You're right, right? He got mad, prideful, angry before the Spirit of the Lord left him. Saul made the mistake to believe that the kingdom was about the king, not about the Lord. And so, this troubles me in this sense, because verse 15 says, Some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit from God, they knew it, from God is troubling you. Let's find a good musician to play the harp whenever a tormenting spirit troubles you. And he will play soothing music and he will soon be well again. All right, Saul said, find me someone who plays well. This is not on your sheet. And bring them here. One of the servants said, Saul, one of Jesse's son, and he's talking about David. Go to the verse before, verse 15, verse 14, and it says in verse 13, on the other side of the town, on the other side of the area, David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took a flask of olive oil. He brought and anointed David with the oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. At the same time, in the castle, in the palace, the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, but where did it go? On David. See? The anointing to be king was not going to rest on two heads. It was on David now. God was using this in a way to get the newly anointed king literally in the palace right away. Even though he was going as a musician to play the harp, he was still going into the palace. And while he was in the palace, he was meeting the palace staff. He was meeting the palace uh, family, the soldiers, the leaders, he was beginning to be prepared for that. We look at it, I do at least, and say, the Spirit of the Lord left Saul, and immediately the tormenting spirit came in. Again, this is Old Testament. The tormenting spirit could not come while the Spirit of the Lord was there. Right? One vessel cannot contain Two things that are polar opposite. <laughs> darkness and light, right? Light chases away the darkness. Darkness swallows up the light. You cannot have both functioning in the same vessel. Now, David in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we just read that. And in Deuteronomy chapter 34, we see about Joshua. Deuteronomy chapter 34. I like this one. How many of you guys ever wondered why Pentecostals like to lay hands on each other? Anybody ever wondered? Deuteronomy chapter 34. Yeah. What's the Pentecostal word? Impart. I know you know. Impartation. Impartation. 
Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. Where'd that spirit come from? That's the Holy Ghost right there. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. Why was he full of the spirit of wisdom? Moses had laid his hands on him and said, be filled. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> more, more, more. No, we don't do that. He laid his hands on him. Now, here's what, here's what happened. Full of the spirit of wisdom, Moses laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed, doing just as the Lord commanded Moses. So we see even... This impartation or this transfer, Moses is no longer in charge. This spirit is transferred over to the leader now of the Israelites in Joshua. Okay. There's an interesting term. We're going from the hand of Moses laid upon Joshua to 1 Kings. I like this. I like this. I like this. Are you guys with me still? Are you bored yet? Stay with me. I'll get you there. I'll have you bored by 8.15. You'll be ready to go. Can you hear me crunch in my microphone? A little bit. Pretty good microphone if they can't hear that. You heard it, but did you hear it through the microphone? <laughs> All right. I like the way this says this. First Kings eighteen forty six. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. Does your does yours just have forty six? Okay. I'm trying to go back. It says, and the hand of the Lord was upon him. Second Kings. I didn't put the whole text in there. Before that, it says the hand of the Lord was upon him, and then the Lord led him to help him to run. Then the Lord gave him special strength. Uh, gave him special strength. If you go up a little bit, it says the hand of the Lord was upon him, and it has the same terminology in 2 Kings 3. Let me see if it says it the right way. 2 Kings, I messed these two up, I apologize, because this is, bring me someone who can play a harp. Act like I got it right. When Elijah and Elisha are anointed, it doesn't say the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, it says the hand of the Lord came upon them, and they, dot, 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 the hand of the Lord came upon them. And I love it because we went from Moses laying hands on Joshua, and now we see in 2 Kings and in 1 Kings, Elijah and Elisha. It's the hand of the Lord that represents the impartation of the Spirit of the Lord. Now, let's go after the cross. Let's move over to the after the cross. Any questions about Old Testament, Holy Spirit, Old Testament? Um possession, oppression, all that kind of stuff. Any questions? Go for it. Don't be a hard one. Don't be a hard question, Jim. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yep. 
Yes. Absolutely. Get no, 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 no. Yeah, true. But let's 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 bring a modern let's bring a modern example uh, because I think the same truth applies. Because spirit came upon him and prophesied, and he was still crazy, and he was not living right, and he was angry, right? And yet, still, God used him. And I think in that text it says the prophet saw him do it. And thought, look, Saul is prophesying. Right. They were too busy. They were too. They were under the Holy Ghost. They were. They were just. I don't want to say slain because they could have been, but they maybe they were, whatever. But anyway, they couldn't do what they were sent out to do, which means either God was stopping. But here's the here's the modern context. This is the thing that is hard to wrap your head around. Modern day preachers who stay in ministry and yet are operating and have had a moral, ethical issue, failure, and yet it's discovered maybe months, even years later, and yet what do we do with the ministry that happened when their hearts were clearly skewed, perverted, whatever the case may be, what do we do with the ministry during that period of time I mean if you've been around long enough you can go back to the 80s and find there was just rapid fire but even most recently uh, there's pastors that are just kind of falling and even in our own fellowship it's terrible to say that there's people that are just kind of falling by the wayside making bad decisions so what about the one that was saved under their ministry the week before the moral failure came out and they were removed from ministry does that make the ministry less powerful? Because it wasn't the person that was responsible for the ministry. It was the word of God that doesn't return void. So with Saul, I certainly look at it and I go, well, that doesn't make any sense. But also I look at these people ministering under the anointing and seeing fruit. And yet their lives are far from the Lord Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, something like that. And, it, and it's, I guess it speaks more to the power and the testimony that God will do what God is going to do. And at some point, the Proverbs are true. If you play with fire in your lap, you will get burned. You know, surely these things will come to light. Gaynell, go. Right. That he never knew them. He, she said, uh, the Lord reminded them that you will come to me and say, we did this in your name. We did that in your name. And he said, depart from me. I never knew you evil, uh, evil workers. That's true. So that, I think that's what I do with that, with that verse, uh, Jim. Where am I at? John, crossing over to the New Testament. John chapter 14. After the cross, after the resurrection... After the ascension, the Holy Spirit became an internal staying power. So we've got a container here, and we've got the Holy Spirit now internally abiding within us. I love these scriptures. Here we go. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. 
Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him. Because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Jesus says, you know him because he lives with you now. In what form? In Jesus. I'm here. Spirit is in me, therefore you're experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit because I'm operating in that spirit. You are with me now, but later this spirit will be in you. So we have to be a crass uh, illustration. We have this coming upon you um, anointing. We have this powerfully coming upon you. We have a hand of the Lord that was upon them. We have all, it's all about upon, on, upon, on. And there's a shift. We're going from on to in. Because when it's in, it's not lifted. Can we lose our salvation? No, not in that term. You don't say lose your salvation. Because what's in you has to be removed. And that can happen only from us saying, I want no longer to do with God or what he wants me to do. I throw away this gift, right? So, the Holy Spirit is in us. 2 Corinthians 1, 22. I don't know about you, but I'm having fun. Me and Natalie. You know, I bet the people on the podcast, the, the one person that listens to this podcast, probably wondering, who's Natalie? Yeah. <laughs> one person who's listening, thank you. <laughs> uh, verse 21, to go a little bit further, is God enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He's commissioned us, and he has identified us, verse 22, as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. The Holy Spirit in us. John chapter 20. When did that happen? Here we go. Uh, anyone still drawing the notes here? Here we go. Post-cross. Jesus now resurrected. John chapter 20, verse 22. I love it. Then he breathed on them. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. Then he breathed on them. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. The disciples operating around the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is on. The Holy Spirit is around. The Holy Spirit is present. But now something happens in that moment. The Holy Spirit is now in them. They are the first believers, the first to be filled, to be inhabited by the Holy Ghost. Uh, in the New Testament, 
Come on, I'm going to stretch a couple of people here. Just make us a little bit uncomfortable. Jesus, on several occasions, was brought children that were demonized. This makes me angry. This makes me like children. They, they, they don't have the ability to make the decision on this process of whether believe or not or where how could the demon how could this be allowed to happen under god how could children be tortured in such a way children that were brought to, de- to jesus with demons i believe were the result likely of an invitation by themselves remember children is not we, we think immediately two-year-olds sometimes Children, there's a, there's a broad range of children. It could be 13, could be 10, could be 15, 16, could be 7 or 8. Children could have invited even themselves the demonic or unfortunately, and this still happens even today, someone who had authority in their life did it. The occult is terrible with this, that children are brought into ceremonies and different things like that and Satanists, Luciferians, or whoever is worshiping the devil, whatever the case may be, they, they literally, I mean, even the New Age, you place these crystals around a baby's crib. It is inviting the demonic into the child, and the poor child doesn't have the opportunity to deny that, to reject that. And we pray for the Spirit of the Lord uh, to intervene. But at some point, these children were demonized because the, one of the gatekeepers in their life let it happen. It seemed that demonic possession in the New Testament when Jesus was walking on the earth was at least not, at the very least, not surprising among the Jews. It had, be- it had become, in many ways, another ailment, another sickness, even though for us it is much more sinister and terrible. Even in modern times, I would argue that demonic possession or demonization, uh, as a more appropriate term, of the unbeliever listen, is more likely than we think, more common than we realize. When they choose again and again to go back to drugs, back to that relationship that's destroying them, back to that habit or that situation that will ultimately cost them their lives or at least their livelihood, it is like sometimes people have a death wish. And I would argue that this may be the result of demonization. For the unbeliever, there is no gatekeeper. There is nothing keeping, the, keeping that out. It's an open vessel. Where is it? It's an open vessel. And if the Holy Spirit is not in there, anything, by the slightest invitation, by the slightest even mistake, can be filled. In the New Testament, we see even in Luke eleven nineteen, they're giving Jesus a hard time for casting out demons. And he says, your own Jewish exorcists have been doing this. Why would the Jewish people have exorcists if demonization was not a real problem? You with me? <laughs> Jewish people are supposed to be God's people. And yet all these Jewish people are filled with demons? Am I the only one that sees that? Is that wacky to you? Why? Because there's no in them yet. Come on, somebody come with me. 
There's no in them yet. The Holy Spirit has not been given in that way yet. It's on them, but it's not in them. There's not a habitation of the Holy Spirit. Finally, Jesus is recognizing and addressing this not just as a disease, but a spiritual condition. So here's, here's the deal. That was a good drawing. This is a really good drawing. The veil. <laughs> Holy. Not. Holy. How about it? <laughs> All right. The veil. The veil that was the heavy curtain in the, whole, in the temple separated people from God due to sin. Could it be that this was also an apparatus? I'm going to stretch myself and you with this question. Who is allowed in the Holy of Holies? One person, right? The high priest? The high priest had to go through extensive cleansing, fasting, had to be anointed by the high priest before them, had to be in the lineage. The only one allowed in the Holy of Holies was the high priest. Could the veil be not just something that separated the holy from the unholy, but an apparatus to keep demonic power out of the presence of a holy God. Not that God would accidentally allow something like this to happen. It's just not, that's not what I'm saying at all. But if the demonic has been a problem since the fall of man, then there must be a barrier, a line in the sand between holy and the holiness of the living God and the fallen and the vulnerable nature of humanity that leaves room for the demonic. I got two people I want to bring to your attention. What I am saying is, if the demonization was this issue because there was no indwelling of the Holy Spirit, then is it too far-fetched for us to consider that someone would wander in the wrong place at the wrong time influenced by the devil is that too much of a stretch you know you got to get through some serious barriers people doors curtains in order to get into the holy of holies here's the here's the thing consider Saul who was filled with the Spirit of the Lord, and then the Spirit of the Lord left him, and then it was filled with a, uh, a, a demonic spirit, an evil spirit. Consider also, uh, well, let me ask you this question. Was Saul more good than bad or more bad than good? Just what do you think? How many of you guys think Saul was more good than bad? I think I'm with you. How many of you guys think Saul was more good than bad? Now let me ask it again. 
me and Chris, me and Brett now. How many of you guys think Saul was more good than bad? One more time. How many of you guys think Saul was? Now, I'll give you the contrast. He did, which is pretty bad. So the contrast is going to be Nebuchadnezzar, so that's your preview. Was Saul more good than bad compared to Nebuchadnezzar? Who was more bad than good? With me? <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, when we think of Babylon, we think, ooh, bad, 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 bad. Got all these bulletins in my Bible. All these things. There's your Daniels. There we go. Daniel 4. Where is it? Daniel's one of those ones I never can find. So, so, what does it come after? Oh, Ezekiel. Ezekiel Daniel. I said Ezra Daniel. Ezekiel is what I was thinking. Daniel 4, verse 37. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar. Here we go. Old Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 37 says, verse 33 as well start, verse 33. The same hour the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow and he was drenched with dew from heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. So he lost his what? His mind. He, something happened in Nebuchadnezzar. God caused it to happen. No different, in my opinion, than the spirit that came upon Saul and made him lose his what? Mind. Nebuchadnezzar now lifted himself up, got all this pride, and God said, nah, uh-uh. No, 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 no. He humbled him. Verse 34, after this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, my sanity returned. And I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. And he keeps going through there. He talks about his sanity returning, how he praises God in heaven. Nebuchadnezzar became, in essence, a worship leader in Babylon. A spiritual thing happened that brought him to a crazy place. And then another spiritual thing happened to where that spirit or that thing was removed and now he got his mind back. But when he got his mind back, it was a mind that now honored God. And I think for me, what I'm trying to help us capture is the veil was removed when the cross happened. The spirit was given when Jesus rose. And now we don't have to walk around worried when we're filled of the Holy Spirit on whether or not we're going to catch a demon. And if somebody's telling you that you must be demonized, demon-possessed, whatever the case may be, and you are a blood-bought saint full of the Holy Ghost, that's a lie. Is the devil still at work in this world and trying to attack you? Of course. But you win. And you stand in authority. Amen? There, there has got to be some doctrine and some powerful preaching along this context because there's this slippery slope happening in so many circles 
where Christians are coming to meetings saying, I'm possessed of a demon. Buddy, I want to tell you, Jesus put it the best way. He basically said, you cast a strong man out, making room for something new. And if you don't allow what he's saying, the Spirit of God, if you don't allow something else to come in, the demon's going to go find his friends and come back. What we are saying is that if the container has the Holy Spirit, can you just picture in your mind, and this is spiritual stuff, and it's hard for us to grasp. It's hard for me to grasp. Can you picture in, the mind, in your mind a demon living in the same cup, in the same container? I'm picturing the Holy Spirit and say, hey, uh, uh, hello, what are you thinking? Darkness, get out, light is here. But when we have feelings of depression and anger and frustration, instead of immediately giving the devil all this credit that he doesn't deserve anyway, sometimes, let's take a step back and understand two things. Number one, our world is fallen. Our world is fallen. And that number two, how you feel at that moment, isn't who you are. Because who you are is a blood-bought, spirit-filled saint of the Most High God. Amen? Yes, sir. No, I, I, when, and when I said you, you can't lose your salvation, I, I didn't mean that you can live however you want and still be saved. I'm not an eternal security guy. I believe that context, on one side of the argument, it would say that they're never saved anyway. Well, I, I know people in my own life that I'm dear friends with and family with that love Jesus and I saw their ministry flourish. And yet they've walked away from God and said, I don't want this anymore. And I believe they would die today to go to hell because they have abandoned their faith, right? So does that answer that question? Absolutely believe that you can abandon your faith and completely walk away from the Lord. And in that moment when you are living there, you will. You will go to hell if, if judgment happens. That's what I believe. I, I certainly don't believe the argument that says, well, they must have not been saved in the first place because I've personally seen and experienced people being used mightily of, uh, of the Lord and then walking away from that faith. So, John, John 4, 24, the woman at the well was standing there. Remember, the whole, the, there, wasn't a, there wasn't a spirit on them. I'm going to end with this thought. The time is coming and is here now, Jesus says, when God's people will worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus was saying the time is coming and is here now. He's standing with her. It was there right, right then. He can worship in spirit and in truth. But 
when she went and told her friends about it, come and see the man who told me th anything I ever did. And when Jesus went on to the next thing, her moment was gone. The next moment that was experienced is now for us, church age, post-cross. We can worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Amen. Pray with me. Thank you, Jesus, for uh, truth. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the teaching. Uh, thank you for the questions that we probably even have right now. I pray that you would give us the discipline and the tenacity to dig into your word and to learn more. Give us discernment as we listen and learn or view things on our own time. God, that you would give us discernment on what things are of you and what things are questionable. And God, continue to grow us in our faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, Brittany, could you come up here real quick? I want Brittany to stand in the gap for something. This past week, we had our homeless ministry. Hey, come here. We had our homeless ministry um, bring in 15 people. And one found Christ on Sunday morning. And uh, Eric was able to pray with them. So praise God for that. They ate. We fed them. It was amazing. This Sunday and the month of December, because of Brittany's uh, influence and prayers and all of that, um, we will be commissioning a deaf interpreter for our services in December. I really hope we just keep it, you know. So I think, Brittany, like that section right over there is where we're going to set her up. She's coming to worship practice tomorrow, so she'll learn all the songs and everything. And so would you reach your hands up? You know, Brittany's going to just stand in the gap for our deaf ministry, and uh, we're just going to pray over this new endeavor. Lord, thank you so much for Brittany's heart, for her family. But right now, we ask you for the deaf people that will find us. First of all, I pray that we would be able to sow seeds and, and uh, with the efforts to get the word out, that, God, it would come across people's screens on their phones and, and in their conversations, that they would be excited to find a church that cares about them and has made room for them. And I pray for the interpreter that is coming as well, who uh, is, is going to be an awesome addition uh, during this Christmas season. And I just pray, God, that when we start this, we'll never stop it, that we'll continue to see this demographic, this group of people experience the love of Jesus here at Greater Life Church. And thank you for Brittany's heart. I pray you bless her and uh, use her, God, help her to have uh, wisdom and discernment uh, by the Holy Ghost as she kind of is the uh, the catalyst the one who kind of brought this forward and i pray god that you would just use this ministry to reach people for your glory in jesus name amen